Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm running out of steam now. Paul, back to you. No, he should say that John is suffering from COVID. I'm surprised that, that the cylinders are fired as well as they are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if, if you could boil it down and say, okay, here is what heart, here is his starting point. Here is the problematic element in that starting point. And here is the way that I would phrase this alternatively. So I think it would be, at, what I'd want to say is that the reason, well, let's, let's say, yeah, you said his starting point seems to be, and I do think it's different in different places. So, um, and I know he he says like, you are God's the sort of central or the kind of culminating chapter is that last one, the chiasmus. Uh, much of which I really like and would just agree with, but at least the way that book actually starts though. And in some other moment, I think what he wants to say is um, we cannot become anything other than what, what we always already are. And we know yes, through Christ, but we know that our end is deification. And so, um, the sort of uh, mutual implication of God in the world in that process. I mean, he even says, I think it's like page 118 of, of the book, You Are Gods. He says, he talks about the eternal act of God, including uh, being God and what is not God, which is like, okay, I, I mean, I like that. Um, <laughs> I would, you know... <laughs> Uh, but it, but it seems still like a, like the structure seems to be ground grounding uh, of the conditions of possibility and the actuality that move or, or maybe like cause and effect. It still seems a little sequential to me. And that is the way sometimes he reads Bulgakov as well, where it's like Bulgakov's great insight is that the incarnation isn't absurd because God was always already divine human. Yes, perhaps proper to the second person, but it's this pre-eternal almost pre-realized thing that that so whether we're thinking of ourselves in deification becoming god which means we always already were that or god becoming human in the incarnation means he always al already was that that's fine and like that to me is his his framing it's a starting point in the way he wants to talk about it and the two come together and in in the, at the point where the chiasmus becomes a point of indistinction which is in christ what i want to say I, I think the issue there is only that um, is the kind of obeisance to sequence. It could be, now, if it's explicitly said this is the way of teaching, right, or something, I don't have a problem with that. I even wouldn't have a problem if we say this is, it's almost the way of experience, or like phenomenologically how we mm -hmm. come to see it. I don't have a problem with that. Again, I'm not an absolutist with 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 methodological starting points, and I think my Christology actually makes it impossible to be that. Um, so I wouldn't want to say you have to start here, you know, in your book or in your presentation or when you talk mm -hmm. about this or whatever. I don't think that is helpful, and and it's 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 um 
it's a kind of shallow critique that is it's easily you know it's easy to say thomas yeah, you yeah. Know, doesn't get to christ until the third part of the summa yeah you should be able to start anywhere right you should you should absolutely be able to start anywhere and it should not matter if christ is the whole in the way that i think he is um so it's not that kind of critique but nevertheless i do think that's his de default framework is something can't become uh what it wasn't always already and whether you're looking from the vantage of god or from humanity that holds i think that 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 tends to de-emphasize what i want to call something like what i call in the book the logic of person and but you could maybe say the logic of act so it's like if you raise the question is it the case that the incarnation the event of the hypostatic union is the thing that grounds the pre-eternal divine humanity or is it the pre-eternal divine humanity grounds and makes possible or is like almost a potency for the act of union the actual union the event of union i want to say ultimately that's that's a nonsensical um that, that's a false dilemma that the way christ is the whole is precisely by by being the whole of sequence itself rather than be subject to any sequence whichever direction you you go and from whichever starting point you you depart um this is how i actually read this just as an aside Ari eugen is um Periphyzion, the five, the four divisions of nature, very influenced by Maximus, of course. Um, but it's really fascinating, right? I mean, I, I won't get too far to that because that's a whole other. But it's a nice, it's a illustrative because he's got four divisions: that which creates and is not created, that which is created and creates, that which is created and does not create, and finally the fourth one: that which neither creates nor is created. The first three, I think, are pretty obvious. God is cause. He is not cause. He creates. So that which creates and is not created. The second is that which is created and creates. It's like secondary causes, right? Or ideas, maybe divine ideas, however you want to run that. The last is like the material, the material world, that which is simply effect, effect, right? Not cause. That's how that area understands that. But so fascinating is that last one. That which does not create and is not created he says explicitly that's also god now you could say what is this like a nod to aristotle <laughs> you know who it's like he creates by being the telo so he drags things sort of towards their end and mm -hmm. after all it's the last one in the sequence of the four divisions but fascinating to me is that the most of the fifth book which deals with the fourth uh division is about the composite christ being universal and ubiquitous his body so what, I, what I'm getting at is that the incarnation, the event, is so much the ground that it does not appear and act like grounds do, positively. So that, that means it supersedes sequence, such that the last, the culmination, I mean, it's very clear, this is the return, is into that which neither creates nor is created. The return looks like it never underwent a process while it has all the gains of the whole process. That is the whole Christ. That is Ereugenus totus Christus. That's where he argues for the ubiquity of the body of Christ in all the cosmos and, and etc. That's where you get some of the most interesting reciprocity between you know God and the world and the body of Christ, who is you know summing up all things in heaven and on earth. So that that's where I'd want to go. I think I think if we if we simply 
if we don't say maybe put it this way to be as charitable as i need to be and it isn't just feigned it really it i think this is correct i don't think there are things in david's writings and in, in, in interactions have that i think he kind of does agree like i think he does agree with that. that's why i'm saying earlier like the goalposts move i'm not always sure mm -hmm. But if we don't say enough to indicate that that's what we're on about here, and that the only way that this logic of sequence is superseded is in the actual act of being a person, and that that act of being a person is the act of love and interpersonal love, and that that is culminating and looks like prosopon pros prosopon of first thirteen, first uh, Corinthians thirteen twelve, face to face. Then now we know partly. Then we will know face to face. Not then we will know totally all the universals and genera <laughs> a little a little jab at thomas sometimes i don't like how mm -hmm. right, so the, the the sort of the, the the pinnacle act is to be able to know universals completely and totally i mean god i mean it's to know god it means to know god's essence through the age of intellect which he himself becomes and but but um where is the knowledge of love which can only determinate also thomas would agree with this only terminates in particulars, but not just in particulars, it terminates in persons. And so I think that unless you have that quote-unquote personalist view, which is totally for me an, an, a, an, a result of Christology, if you have the quote-unquote personalist view of Geist or spirit, then you read all the weird things about the moment of spirits being sort of non-sequential and so forth or you read Ariugena's divisions of nature terminating the way they do or whatever it is you read that gives you sort of the tools to say you know the whole is is the whole of the sequence not the the last of it not the last in the sequence uh, the alpha and the omega revelation 22 jesus i'm the alpha and the omega not i was the alpha and became the omega not I am the Omega and somehow retroactively become the Alpha. That's I'm both at once. And so there is there is no sense then that... So what does that do to potency and act? Whether we speak of humanity or divinity becoming something. What I think it should do is relativize it in light of that whole. So I don't feel the need, for example, to posit an actual like what an actually existing pre-eternal potential mode of not god in god in order for the incarnation to make sense and not offend our rationality i think that the incarnation itself is the fullness of reason and then you think back through that and i do think bulgakov does this very much at the last half of lamb of god and then you can say you can say those things like clearly we always are saying things that are not quite right i'm not quibbling with that so you can but it's just that we got to get a hold on um we have to get a hold on our interpretation of our own interpretations like what it is we're really saying how it's relating in light of the whole so i just i don't know if that makes sense but i'd want to emphasize i would i think that's the quick, quickest way to put it i want to emphasize the relativization of sequence in the whole which christ is um and that would be the way i would want to present it regardless of where i started in any particular on any particular occasion right so i think we're close and i think i don't think that's a total divergence in the way that sometimes it's been characterized so i i i'm not always sure where where it is you know it, is it that well, that's our, the blind. 
John, you want to you want to respond to that? No, no, I was just it was a beautiful uh, explanation. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to it all. The thing that you're if there is a critique in there, the critique is that you are talking about encompassing sequence in the incarnation, whereas it may sometimes seem that heart just wants to leave that out. Or even say like, um, or, or even indulge it in like a different subtle way. So what, here, here's a way to put it. And I want I'm, I'm focusing around Bulgakov a little bit because that's a common, you know, affection of, of ours. When Bulgakov summarizes his book, Lamb of God, he says, the question is, how can the incarnation make sense? Or like, really, what are the conditions for the possibility of the incarnation? That's the same way he phrases a lot of his, when he boils down other, like, like his earlier books on economy or something, he'll say, what is the conditions for the, what are the conditions for the possibility of, you know, a truly Christian economy or something like that? That's a Kantian question. What are the conditions of the possibility of this fact that I'm not disputing because it's a, you know, it's, it's apprehended by both a priori and synthetic judgments, et cetera, et cetera. But then you think back, that's the possibility of metaphysics for Kant. Okay. Well, if Bulgakov, who certainly studied all those guys very in depth early on, is he's going to frame his question that way. That is, is simultaneously a suspension of the exact metaphysical relations in the question. The question is, what are the conditions of the possibility of the incarnation? Not what are the metaphysical grounds that led to the incarnation? That's not the same question. And in fact, Bulgakov in the beginning of Bride of Lamb will deny that God is a cause. Yes, other people have done that. But he does it very interestingly. He embeds it in his understanding of Sophia. I've laid that out somewhere on the internet <laughs> in some article somewhere. So, so I'll... I'm saying I think if if that's what Bulgakov is doing, that's actually the more to me the more intuitive methodological approach and one that I'm closer to. Because I don't think we can make judgments about even the exact relation of time and eternity beyond just negative ones, which are just the judgments of reason sort of left alone. Um, and Bulgakov is very clear, as was Soloviev before him. That is the limits of reason. On that point, they agree with Kant, more or less, even if there's some, you know, if we're talking about reason bereft of its divine destiny, sure, that's what you get. A bunch of roadblocks that are useful to know, and maybe you should reflect on that, and that helps you clarify maybe the sorts of problems you're having or whatever. But um, but what I, what I want to emphasize then is that... Um, if you're doing a Christology, I mean, this is a, this is a pretty Hegelian point. It's the most self-critical exercise that we can do if Christ is the perfection of our own reason. Precisely because the object of inquiry is its own subject, is the subject. And so if I think that's sort of what Bulgakov is doing there when he frames it that way. And so when he gives his answers and when he talks about pre-eternal divine humanity... That isn't to me the same thing as giving some sort of ground, say in the way you know certain Platonists would give the ground of all, of all things in the one of for, for the many or something like that. 
or some mediating principles, metaphysical principles. I don't think that's what's happening. So ultimately, what I would want to say is that the, the, that the event of the incarnation is just as much the ground of pre-eternal div divine humanity as the in as the reverse. That's that does not make sense abstractly. That is a non nonsensical thing to say. If you aren't thinking about the concreteness, to go back to your point, Paul, the concreteness, and I would, in this sense, in a loose way, say the very nature of spirit, but Christ, the concreteness of the person of Christ. Then, like Maximus says in, in letter 15, the, he quotes, I think, Cyril saying, uh, the very same one who was before was also after in reference to the hypostatic union. But then Maximus adds, but his before is just his divinity, and his after is his humanity. He himself is the same. Okay, so that that's pushing towards, or another place where he says the hypersec union, quote, bears no imprint of time or becoming. Well, what, what do I call that? Eternal incarnation? What do you mean by eternal, right? Is it just the negation of temporal? Because if so, that's not quite right either. So it's allowing the event of the incarnation, which I think is almost as it were objectively the perfection of reason among us, as person and as that person that you can know in all various sorts of ways, that has to not negate our concepts or abstractions, which set up a lot of our problems, but has to, has to give them their ultimate whole, put them in their place. In, con in their context so insofar as so the critique then finally to land a little more specifically if if there is an implicit even indulgence in what i would call the logic of sequence in a metaphysical sense of the movement from cause to effect such that we need to find the conditions in god which actually pertain as it were prior to the act of god becoming man then I don't. I think that's a, a dead end, and I think we've already lost the kind of the glimpse of the whole. I think that's a, a beautiful description. Is that anything different? How or how is that different? In other words, what heart seems to be doing, you're saying, is not allowing for that understanding of the fullness of the incarnation as being the point. When we talk about the incarnation, we talk about the person of Christ. This is the our point of departure, and this is the our end point, and this is always the context, the parameters in which we're working. Uh, certainly, we can abstract from that, and we can talk about abstractions, but the abstractions have to fit within that parameter and that context, or they end up being an end in and of themselves. Right. And that, because so often the critiques depend on not thinking through the abstractions in relation to what actually is, is being claimed to be the whole. And so in that, in that sense, um, the conditions of the critique or the sort of framework of the critique itself hasn't even grasped the thing it's supposedly critiquing. And and so that's I also think there's another maybe difference that maybe this will help a little as well. I happen I do happen to think that seeing 
seeing as it were i'm going to leave it that vague because i uh, you know whether that means unfolding in history or realization through our own consciousness and reflection i'm going to leave that open seeing the as it were moments or dialectical movement of what it means to say christ is two natures and out of two natures but is himself as person not reducible to those two natures seeing that movement is itself necessary for me again however you approach it whatever i don't care but seeing that that is the case whereas sometimes i think for Hart, he's like he doesn't want to think through like why do we need to say for example that the incarnation and the person of christ is quote unquote irreducible and indifferent to his natures um why not just say sort of you know like what he what he says bulgakov says which is like it's just almost as it were of the essence of the second person of the trinity to be divine human and i think because that skips so many important dialectical steps that on the that two things result on the one hand we actually don't make sense of much of the actual history of christian thought because I, I can go through, uh, you know, I've got texts lined up in a document of Maximus saying, for example, in Ambiguum 21, that in deification, that deification is in no way anticipated by our nature. He says, quote, for I do not know why they would call it ecstasy if it is already within our nature, when ecstasy means precisely the going out of our, of our nature, according to Dionysius. Okay, so there's so he says that Eriogena has exactly this many passages where he says it's not of human nature itself to become God. Um, Nicholas of Cusa even does. Otherwise, there's no coincidence of opposites if the opposites really are just in sort of um, components of the thing uh, to which they're juxtaposed. There wouldn't be any coincidence there. There would just be clarification of what both actually are. Okay, so there's a lot. So I can I can incorporate all of those people into what I want to say because they are expressing a crucial key moment in our apprehension. We do need to see what a nature is logically and how that distinguishes beings. That's like the stuff of metaphysics, first philosophy from antiquity. You do need to see that. That's actually crucial heuristically. But then you need to see how we, in our acts of intention to go with right, in desire and especially of love which is intellectual as well, the love of knowing and right that drives knowing, but also the love interpersonally. You need to see how that is already in itself by in your experience beyond what we thought nature and defined it as being. Then you need to see that was always already there, such that in your actual origin, you were all always already above nature in that sense. So that spirit and love is stuff that, yes, we much must abstract about, but you could never confuse the abstractions for the thing itself. You already know that. So I think the point is we're plotting here, the sort of points of insider realization, and I think that's important to see. Even heuristically, it's important to see. But also it happens to correspond to, to the way that the Christological tradition itself unfolded I, in, my, in my reading of it. So I can retain the purpose of the history itself without saying, well, you know, it was just a bunch of politics that got us off the rails for no reason at all. Um, which, of course, is partly true in some events, but, you know, the cunning of reason, etc. <laughs> so doesn't matter what, what the actual bad actors thought. They Something good. We used to just call that divine providence, but, you know. So 
but but the other thing is just is that uh, I can so I can retain the history and I can retain the purpose of studying it carefully. Otherwise, what's the point if it was all just a misunderstanding or a red herring? Who cares about all that stuff in the fifth, sixth, seventh century? It doesn't matter. Let's get back to the Middle Ages where they barely knew anything about those centuries, and then they were sort of clearer or whatever. Or or let's get off, you know, with Scotus or something who ruined everything. You know, it's like, no, I mean, I'm saying all of it's necessary because all of it's an unfolding, regardless of the intentions of the actors. So I can retain the purpose of history in that really deep synthetic sense. But the other thing is, it's, it is, I think it's necessary even on the individual level to see that these this is what we're saying. You know, so when a Thomist comes at me and says, you can't say we're God by nature because then you make God dependent on us to be God. I would say, well, you've misapprehended God because he's not even just his nature. And you've misapprehended us, which you should know. You could know theologically by X, Y, Z, or you could just know by phenomenological reflection, self-reflection on what it is that we're even doing when we're doing human things. And so that's the kind of, I'd rather have that kind of defense, right? And so it's heuristically necessary to see the moments and process and development of uh, uh, in consciousness of this mystery unfolding. So whether it's in history or in, in the apprehension of that by by a, a we who are persons, I want to retain that. I want to see the moments in their distinction and integrity and then see another and then put them in, in context of the whole. That maybe is another way to talk about. And I just think sometimes David is like, just not as interested in that like well yeah it's just it's that stuff here it's just nonsense and so i i do i don't know i don't know what that is i don't know if that's some of it's temperamental maybe and some of it's just maybe it's just a difference of priorities or goals or something and and i don't know i don't know what to make of that that goofed it that got it all wrong <laughs> we, we can just, yeah uh, yeah no i like that i like that and i think what you're describing creation is incarnation but what that is describing is an unfolding reality yeah. In other words, you can take account of the of history, you can take account of our own development as persons, and you can actually talk about progress in theology. Yeah. Right. No, it's uh I've said it many times, but it, all of this would be so much easier if God's creation was just a big like, you know, arrangement of essences or kinds of things like a massive Lego land because <laughs> then he can arrange stuff all, all he wants there's really no question there's no question of theodicy there's no question of evil who cares it's it's a beautiful display it's a massive fireworks display it's, it's whatever um but since his intention apparently is to create children that have faces and names that are proper that point out something that isn't reducible to any abstraction and yet is knowable directly in interpersonal mm -hmm. relation and love that is the source of a lot of the a lot of the tensions that are so restive and um and 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 so i just don't want to lose sight of that and if the way we talk and the form of our speech and presentation of this stuff even the presentation doesn't at some point account for that it doesn't have to all be existentialist or whatever but if it's but but if it but if it's going to turn into a critique it's kind of where i'm going mm -hmm. if it's going to turn into a critique of maximus's christology or the whole purpose of neo-Chalcedonian debates, right? Then, well, then, okay, now I'm going to have some questions back for that. I didn't make any critique of, like, like I, in other words, I, I can read, I can put it this, this maybe bluntly, and I can say this is, again, David and I are 
we're, we're friends, but I can incorporate every, almost everything he says in you are gods. And I think it's fine. And I think it's great. And I would give that I've given the book to people to read and I recommend it and all that. Right. If you read my book, you're going to see things that seem to go against that, but only a super fit in a superficial way. If you were, if you were reading the whole of it and you see, for example, that I don't posit a principle of hypostasis to resolve things. I posit a hypostasis called Jesus. Or if you see that indifference doesn't mean like unrelated, but means more like what he says in your God's like a point of indistinction, which is the more medieval scholastic term where I got it from, indifferentia. Um, and you see that actually the whole point is that nature and person are in fact inseparable, but the facticity of their inseparable union is itself beyond either abstraction about hypostasis or nature. Okay, well then that would be a little bit more fair read. So, so if so, instead, if we're going to start from a "you are God's" perspective and then critique that maxim, sort of the Neo-Calvinian, by reducing its parts and sort of letting them stand as self-standing elements, and then saying, "Well, that doesn't make sense because how could a person and a nature be indifferent to one another?" Right? Um, then that's where I want to say, "Okay, well, hold on, let's let's get this clear and uh, let's." I have some questions back. I have some pushbacks to that, you know. So, so I don't, you know. His book came out, I think, before mine did or whatever, but I had seen some of it before uh, we had shared some stuff. It wasn't at all meant as like a critique. In fact, if anything, it was, we had similar, we had common interlocutors in mind. I just think, like in that moment, you know, in the grace chapter, in the deification and grace chapter, chapter three of my book, I try to make the point that Maximus sometimes, with, with I think I call it the aporia of grace, Sometimes Maximus sounds, he sounds more severe than a two-tiered Thomist about grace and nature. They have absolutely no relation at all. Or between, you know, God and the world. There is no, created and uncreated nature have no relation at all, he says to Pyrrhus, and that stumps him. He says, what, none? Nothing is common, he says, except the hypostasis of Christ. So that seems very severe, like a dual, like an almost an absolute dualism. Um, but at the same time, that very grace is innate. And he says in Ambiguum 10, you know, do not think that you too cannot become a Melchizedek or an Abraham or any of the great patriarchs, because the same grace is in all from their creation. You know, and the, and the principles of creation, Logi, who of course we know from elsewhere, is the Logos in all things. So I think Atomus is going to have a harder time with that theologically at least, than somebody who says, well, we relate, uh, you know, human nature relates to grace as an acorn does to a tree. So so there's the difference of strategy or something, right? Uh, I don't know. Those are some thoughts. Yeah, but yeah, again, yeah. I, I really, I still feel like in the end, I still feel like from my side, I don't indulge the rhetoric of we have some kind of absolute divergence or uh, in the way that that he has a little bit on occasion and because I don't quite see that. I don't quite see that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that was great. I was just thinking, uh, so it's been what about a year since this conversation was first brought up, Paul? Yeah. You? I think and, so. uh, I can admit I haven't thought about it once in the intervening time, <laughs> <laughs> but having, uh, having doing instead, you know, church work, and um, 
what you're saying today, I think resonates actually a lot better with that because uh, my own inclination when I jump off into theory, for whatever reason, maybe it is temperament, is to often see things uh, much in the same way Hart does, whether I've read what he's talking about or not. Just those similar moves. Yeah. Um, maybe that's sort of that top down, I don't know, in any, in any case. But the way you're presenting a lot of your ideas or your approach today, I think it takes more seriously the encounter with another human being. And when you encounter another person, you don't immediately say, oh, yes, you must be a god. <laughs> quite the contrary right <laughs> yeah, quite the contrary actually and uh it seems like most of the work of ministry and the priesthood is to both convince yourself as pastor and priest that yes these people the face of jesus is there in these people that i have some sort of spiritual care of and then the next step is to convince them of that so uh, I do I do appreciate your approach a lot. Uh, I guess in reference to that, that idea of taking it seriously, you know, taking um, I mean, you could call that the phenomenological or existential approach. But I think it's true. There is a sort of a practical edge to what you're saying. It's been great, Jordan. I'm, I'm glad that you I could get you and Jonathan together. Yeah, it was fun, John. Thanks for joining. Oh, I know it's it's, uh, it's so you're under fun. some duress, but it's oh, really been okay. a pleasure. And Paul, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's been great. very enjoyable. Yeah, I and maybe I, I'll say in response to what you said, Jonathan, I may have a natural affinity for your own approach, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> maybe just because of my own sinful, evil nature. Oh, he's starting where I understand. Uh, you are a god. Uh, that's a stretch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've long wanted to write something on like um, uh, about. Well, I won't get into that part, but but basically how on how on how deification it should be more of like um, it's not a it's actually not optimistic in the way yeah. it sounds initially. Yeah. Yeah. It's more it's more like a revelation, right? The letters to the yeah. churches. See how far you've fallen from your first love. Yeah. I mean I we're so far. Yeah. I mean, so as I teach on universalism, that's what I always tell people is this is yes. This is the universalism with hell. That's where most yes. of you are starting and where most of you are headed. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that in and of itself is an interesting kind of comparison, right? Because again, I, I think David's book uh, that I'll show you is, is excellent. And I, I've, yeah. I recommend it yeah. to people. I get it to people. I've read it multiple times, actually. And um, But one thing I'd want to add is something more like the fluctuation of the modalities of actual freedom. Yeah. Um, and the answer to that, what I think, here's the way I like to do it. Again, I'm always trying to do a compromise thing here. Or, you know, it's, maybe this is the Hegelian sensibility. I'm trying to find the synthesis or whatever. I think I think formal apodictic argument, which 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 has a, a sense of necessary closure, which I think certain polemicists like and need. And, and there's also some real use for that. I think it, sells Those, it sells books and it's and it's very it's very captivating. And I'm I, I don't shy away from that if I if I think it's what the occasion calls for it. However, I still think these are nothing but promises whose fulfillment 
can only be known by living, <laughs> by actually walking the yeah. path. Like it's yeah. one thing to say that our rational, that the very sort of use and exercise of our rational freedom somehow is sort you know is sort of teleological teleologically ties us to um, salvation in the end and the salvation of all and so forth, which with which I agree. It's another thing though to say why any departure then from the path why any resistance why any you know now it becomes the odyssey and there is no answer to that and that's something i learned from david a long time ago there's no abstract answer to that mm -hmm. and yet there is not no answer to that the answer has to be as individual and particular and really personal as the person's saved here yeah, i would borrow from george Yes, exactly. Your own salvation. And it's you plural, you all. And that, right, here I'd borrow from George McDonald and say that the only way is through yourself. Right? There, There is no other way. He says to the one named without a way, Anodos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's like, that's the part where I think this is also, again, it, but it, it's not just like a, oh, this is more practical or that can preach or I can have a conversation with with uh my cousins about this or something which is true it is a little more it's easier to talk about that than it is like you know uh, types of freedom or something and philosophically but uh like intellectuals versus volunteers or something but it's also it also though has its own argumentative even and polemical advantages because whenever again if it's like well you know so this seems to sort of undermine the gratuity of grace because it makes it ne salvation necessary here again, we've retreated to abstractions. The necessity you speak of is not the necessity of love. Bogakov's great on this. It's not the necessity of love. It's the necessity of a logical conclusion deduced in a syllogistic mm -hmm. form. Yeah. But if the conclusion, the kind of necessity that we can speak of is both necessary and, the, and knowable because it's the necessity of love, then I can absolutely be totally confident that it is both necessary, that it's going to occur, and that is not a presumption or some sort of weird abstract closure or impingement upon God's own, you know, aseity or something. So that's so that's actually useful. You know, it has been useful for me in my conversations with people who disagree with that or whatever. So oh, anyway, absolutely. I'm maybe I'm just going on and on at this point. No, that's good. That was that's very that's good. That's what I was making about what you you said earlier. Really, is that you have to. Experience this in yourself. It is a self-transformation. It is um, the spiritual life. Exactly right. That's really right. A way, a way I've thought of this and just recently is that, you know, we in, in as much as we are talking about this, that we're talking about a person, and I'm a person, uh, that this is a unique thing for each of us. In other words, yes, there certainly there is a commonality to it. But there is also a uniqueness to it. And we all bring an element of that uniqueness into this experience, into, into what it means. And staying with personhood, I'm, I'm afraid that part of our temptation is to, you know, tamp down the uniqueness, the individuality, the personal, person out, the personal aspect of this. And it's always, in personhood that we live and move and have our being and mm -hmm. 
our tendency in abstraction is to let the abstraction stand in the way of the person. Yeah, we tend to forget that abstraction itself needs an interpretation. Like the act of abstracting, what is that in relation to the truth? And um, yeah, so I, yeah, I completely, and, and again, there's a sort of, there's a provisional necessity of that. How else do you get off the ground when you're thinking about something? If we simply never, only attended to particulars, well, that's the same thing as just pretending, attending to the flux of stuff that's chaos. There's no intelligibility. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, the strength of abstraction becomes its own weakness precisely because it's so elucidating for so much of the territory of knowledge. But I do think the person, your point, right, it presents a special challenge to that. It's one thing if I just sort of abstract rock hood or rockness because I, you know, yeah, I see a lot of different rocks, but they don't seem to cry out in their existence to me in protest from being merely abstracted in the way that somebody who can speak to you and resist you and contradict you and love you can and does and that's to me the uniqueness of the yoanine jesus who says not right here's a great truth or i'm here to tell you about the truth he says i am the truth so the truth includes the i it can't or else it's not the truth that he's talking about yeah yeah that's good that's good uh and i think this uh, uh, correct me if i'm wrong here I think the way in which this conversation is unfolding is an insight that was not always. In other words, I think that this is the struggle. We're partakers of a fruit of a struggle that we can look back and see that this thing has not borne fruit yet. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of the, it comes forth from this and that's good. That's all good, you know. That's why my, my disposition towards yeah, interlocutors in that sense. I'm I'm almost in principle, if I can put it that way, I'm almost in principle committed to the fact that any critique of what I'm saying has to have some truth in it. Like I need to know, and, and whether or not I, I think it's appropriate or I miss that is a different thing, but there is there is no other way, I think, to get at the at the truth who is the one who says mm -hmm. I'm the truth. So yeah, yeah. No, it's all good. So I I I love this and I appreciate you giving the platform and John, you guys participating and bringing your insights as well. I mean, there's no other way to do it. Yeah, we appreciate you, Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, a very profound, very significant conversation. Uh, I'm, I may be too exalted in it. I think this is the conversation at this point. Thank you guys very much. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.